Well, good morning. Proverbs chapter 4, if you would open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4, we're actually going to be in uh, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, and then end in John chapter 6. So don't, don't get nervous, um, we won't be here all day. Um, but John, we'll end in John 6, but we'll start in Proverbs chapter 4. So in the fall of 1997, it was time for me to start uh, applying for schools applying for colleges. I was a senior in high school at the time. And so as I was thinking about which schools to apply to, uh, there's only one that, that I thought was worthy of the time that I would spend on the application, uh, the time that I would spend agonizing over the essay, and the time that I would spend, or the, the, there's only one school that was worthy of the $35 uh, for the application fee. And that was Texas A&M University. Uh, all of my, they swoop, awesome. Um, so 1997, I wrap everything up. This is like really pre-internet applications. And so um, I stick it in the envelope, lick it, put the stamp on, and send it this way. All of my eggs are in this one basket. There's no backup plan. I don't have any other options. Uh, I'm not applying to Texas Tech or Baylor as my backup options because anybody can get into those. And um, <laughs> that's not in my notes. I just said that. Um, so I'm waiting anxiously for all of my, for my one school to come back to me. My friends start getting their letters of acceptance back, and uh, I kept, keep going to the mailbox almost every day waiting for my packet. Not my letter, my packet of welcoming me to A&M. So one day I open up the mailbox, and it pull, I pull out a letter. And it says, uh, Mr. Jacobus, at this time, uh, we cannot admit you into A&M as a full-time student, but we can admit you as a provisional student. And so what, uh, I didn't know what that meant, but they went on to explain that as a provisional student, um, you have to come to summer school on, uh, whenever summer school started, like June 1st, and then you have to take 11 hours and make a certain GPA, and if you made that certain GPA, then you could get into A&M as a full-time student. And so sure enough, I'm like, well, all my eggs are in this basket, so I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to go here. And so I graduate from high school on a Saturday. Sunday, I load up my car, move down here to A&M, move into F to Fowler, the FHK complex. And Monday morning, I start summer school working my hardest to get into A&M. And so there's one class, sociology, uh, Dr. Shuley. I still remember it today. And uh, Dr. Shuley walked in, and uh, if you know anything about summer school, it, it goes really, really quickly. It's like, hey, day one, uh, you, there's no reading the syllabus and, and kind of leaving. Day one is, hey, the syllabus is right here, let me hand it out to you, and then let's get going on class. And so that first Friday was our test, Monday to Friday. Remember, I just graduated on Saturday. It hadn't even been a week, and I'm sitting here preparing for a test. And so I read everything for this test. I study all my notes. I'm paying very close attention to what the prophet is telling me because I know that I have to do well on this. And so that night before, I mean, I'm, I'm staying up as late as I can, as long as I can keep my eyelids open. And I really think I spent more studying, more time studying for that test than I did all of my tests in high school combined. Maybe that's why I was a provisional student. But... 
I walk into this test and I get it, I look at it, and I just start freaking out. Because it was like I'd never seen any of this material on the first page. It was like I was taking a Spanish test in sociology, you know? And I'm just sitting here, and I just start, I was like, I don't know the answers to any of these questions. And so I take my test on my Scantron, and then, uh, lo and behold, the grades are posted that day. Like, that was back when you had to go to the prof's door, and like the last seven or last four of your social were right there, and you had to like look across. And, but I didn't want anyone to go with me because I knew how bad I did. And so I go, and it wasn't an A, it wasn't a B, it wasn't a C, um, and it wasn't a D. And so I, the next Monday, I make an appointment for Dr. Shuley's office, and I'm like, hey, um, Dr. Shuley, like, hey, I, I don't know what happened, but I, I must not have studied any of the right things, because I can tell you all about this, and this, and this, and this, and this, um, but you didn't ask any, any, anything about it. And he looked at me, and he said, he, he actually gave me this one piece of advice that, that is good in college, but it's also good in studying the Bible, believe it or not. He said, um, you need to pay attention to the things that I repeat. You need to pay attention to the things that I repeat. The things that I say over and over and over again in class, um, you need to pay attention to those because those are the things that are going to be the major points on the test. And so sure enough, I started paying attention and it started getting a little better. But the, the reason I tell us that story is not so you can um, take tests better, students, or, um, or, or anything like that. But the reason I tell you that is because in Proverbs 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, there is this one theme that the Father repeats over and over and over again. And it's just like you're in college with a test. When, when something gets repeated in the Bible, it's important and we have to pay attention to it. Like we have to understand it. We have to really dwell on it and try to figure out exactly what he's trying to say here because we have in this text right here a father that is pleading for his sons. A father that is pleading and just asking them to do something, asking them uh, to, to listen and to take heed. And, and so look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. It says, hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. Jump down to chapter 4, verse 4. It says, he taught me and said to me. This is the son speaking. He says, let your heart hold fast to my word. So the, father, the son says, he taught me and said to me. And then the son the the son says that, and the father says, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Jump down to verse 10 of chapter 4. It says, hear my son and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. Verse 13, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Verse 20, my son, this father just begging, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Chapter 5, verse 1. We won't read all of these verses because there's so many. But chapter 5, verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. 
Chapter 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Keep going. Chapter 8. Chapter 8. Verse 6. This is the last one we'll read. Chapter 8, verse 6. Hear, for I will speak to you noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. Man, don't you see the pattern here? Don't you see like this father, he's sitting here and he's just, he's, he's just pleading for his sons to listen to them, to him. It, it has tons of urgency. It has tons of passion. And he's like, hey, if you'll just listen to me, if you'll just come close and heed what I'm saying, like I will give you wisdom and I will give you words of insight. And, and believe it or not, like I've walked this life and it wasn't that long ago that I was in your shoes. And so if you'll just listen to me, if you'll just come together and have this kind of posture of being attentive to me, then, then let me tell you, it will go well with you. It will go well with you. And so, and, and so it's, it's this father that just loves his children so much that he's like, hey, will you just come and listen? Will you just come and take heed? Now, we, we really have to address this from really um, two points right now. Uh, but the first is for middle school or high school or, or college students, I would tell you this, for the majority of you, for the majority of you, there is no one in this world that wants you to succeed more than your parents. There is no one that wants you to be more successful than your parents. There is no one that wants you to, to walk with the Lord deeper. There is no one that wants you to have an ease as you go through your path of life. There is no one that wants you to succeed in middle school, high school, or college than the people that are raising you. And some of you students just need to hear that today. Just let that sink in and let that soak into your heart that, hey, your parents are for you. Your parents are for you. So Monday night, I was coaching Brooks' basketball team, and um, we were doing a rebound drill. And so I would throw the ball up off the backboard, and two people, there were four girls there, and two people, were, all of them were trying to get the rebound. Two were trying to block out, and the others were trying to just get the rebound. So they were just like scrapping around and trying to get the ball with the, you know, trying to get the ball. And so Brooke, she was getting after it. I was so proud of her. She was like, yeah, you get that ball, you girl, you get it. And so anyway, so, so she was working hard, and she was really trying as hard as she could. But, what, but the problem was she found herself in the wrong position. Because she would always find herself underneath the goal. And I'm talking like directly under it. And so she would look up and the net. And so the only rebound she was getting was when the basket was made on accident. That's the only rebound she was getting. And so, so after I had seen Brooke do this a couple of times, I, I pulled her aside and I said, hey, Brooke. I, I got down on a knee and got like face to face with her. I said, hey, Brooke, um, like I'm so proud of you. You're trying so hard. Like your effort is amazing. I said, but, but, but your position is wrong. Like, if you want to get more rebounds, then you have to actually like, step a few feet away from the basket, away from the rim. 
And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, George, you are handling this so well. Like, this is, this is, like, people should write a book on how well you just handled this. You know, you complimented her, and then you said, hey, you should correct this a little bit. And, and so Brooke is standing there, and after I get done, I just expect her to be like, yes, sir, Dad. Yes, I see it now. You speak words of insight and truth in my life to get more rebounds. But you know what she does? She rolls her eyes at me, sighs, and goes to the back of the line like, oh my gosh, fine. <laughs> and so I take note of that in my mind, and, and we get into the car, and, and I start the car, and I turn around, and I say, Brooke, there is not another person in this gym that wants you to get more rebounds than me. There's not. There is no one that's going to cheer louder for you. There is no one that wants you to succeed and dominate the other team more than I do. No one. And so I'm not against you when I try to correct you. I'm not against you when I try um, to, to say, hey, you should get in position better. And so will you just think and just realize that I am for you? I am for you. And some of you students treat your parents like Brooke treats me, because you're all the same. <laughs> but your parents are for you. Your father is for you. Your mother is for you. But you know what's funny? Like back to all of us, in the Old Testament, God is called Father 13 times. 13 times. And you're like, yeah, yeah, that's great, 13 times in all the Old Testament books. But in the New Testament, Jesus actually refers to God as Father over 150 times. Over 150 times. And did you know that when Jesus is talking about the Father in relation to God being our Father, like us together, that there's, over, there's 30 times in the New Testament that Jesus refers to God as our Father. As our Father. And so I would tell you this, that this message isn't just for students, it's also for all of us. There's no one or nothing that wants our success more than God does. There's no one that wants us to walk closer with Him, have wisdom in our life, have clear direction in the way we should go than God does with us because He is our Heavenly Father. And that may sound prosperity gospel-ish to you, um, but it's just in the Bible. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, not for your harm, but for your good, to give you hope and a future. Matthew 11, it says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and broken down, and, and I will give you rest. Romans 8, 37 and 38 says that overwhelming value is ours. That nothing can separate us from God. Nothing. And so the same way that the father pleads to his sons in Proverbs is the same way that God is pleading with us. And he says, hey, come on. Come to me. Not, but not just come, but come and listen like, be attentive to what I say. Follow my commands. Because he's like, hey, I've been in your shoes. I made the world. I know how it works. And so if you'll come to me and listen, 
then you will put yourself in a posture to receive wisdom and direction from me. Isn't that amazing? He uses four words, the Father does. In these verses that we read, and he uses the word hear. And and this word hear means to listen in a way that leads to action. To listen in a way that leads to action. He uses the words hold fast. And in the Hebrew it means to acquire or to stick to firmly. The Father uses um, a word, uh, be attentive, which means to pay attention, to incline your ear towards. He also, use, he also uses the word keep, and it means to conform one's actions or practice to, to keep or, or watch or guard. And so what it is, is he's, he's begging his sons to come close to him, but when they come close, um, t- to realize that they need help. That, th- that they need help. That they're not to come up in a way that's, that's full of pride and full of arrogance, but they're actually, the posture that he wants them to come to him with is humility. One that realizes that, that you need help that we should incline our ear. And, and the times that that happens in my life, the times when I've either gone to someone else and said, hey, I, I need to meet with you. I need help. It's in those moments when I come in humility that I'm more interested in what they say, that I'm more likely to, to hear it, and that hearing would lead to action. That's the same way we're to approach God. In humility knowing that he holds the very words of life. Listen, Isaiah 66.2 says, this is the one to whom I will look. God is saying, hey, this is the one that I'll look to. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Proverbs 11.22, we'll get there this week. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. The humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 29.23, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs 16.18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so when the Bible talks about how we're to approach our Heavenly Father, it's not in a way like Brooke would approach me when I'm coaching her. But it's in a way where we would humble ourselves and realize we need help. And realize we need help. You see, humility is assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Humility is assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. In other words, we're to look to the Lord and He's to be the goal. We're we're supposed to look like He looks, like Jesus looks, or how God looks. But you know when pride comes? Pride comes when we start... Looking at other people 
comparing ourselves to them, whether or not we're good or right. But humility is looking to the Lord and assessing ourselves in light of his perfection and our sinfulness. It looks something like this. I think this is the approach that God would have for us in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, Jesus is um, teaching um, a bunch of disciples. It's not just the 12 here at this moment. It's, it's a bunch of them. And, and, and Chris has talked about this before, but it's a really tough teaching about um, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And, and how just intense it is uh, for a Jew and how important it was that they didn't eat any meat that had blood in it, that it was overcooked, like no medium rare steaks for them. And so Jesus tells them, hey, if you want eternal life, if you want to follow me, then you have to eat my flesh, you have to drink my blood. And Chris has done an amazing job really discussing that. But, but I want to look at the response after. I want to look at the response after. John chapter 6 and verse 66. John chapter 6, verse 66. He says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. After the tough teaching... After the, the hard understanding, they actually come and they question, they try to figure out more things. And so after the tough teaching, and after the clarification, a lot of the people that were following Jesus just left. They said, you know what, this is too hard for me. I, I can't do it, I don't understand it. And what I would tell you is that their heart was full of pride. This doesn't make sense to me. But I love Jesus' response. Like, it's a great question. Verse 61. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, like God being all-knowing, Jesus being all-knowing, knowing that there's some chatter behind him, he turns to them and says, Do you take it? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, hold on. Verse 67. So Jesus went to the twelve. And says, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go away as well? All your friends just left. Do you want to go with them? Like, no pressure here. No worries if you want to go. But if you want to go, just go ahead and go now. Let's save us all some trouble. We don't have to, like, act like we like each other. Just go ahead and leave. And Peter, you just never know what Peter's going to say. Sometimes it's gold and sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, what are you thinking? Verse 68, he says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love his response because it's so like, hey, God, um, Jesus, like I've looked at other people, I've looked at other things. And I've become convinced that you're the Messiah, that you have the very words of life. And so it makes no sense for us to go anywhere else but right here. And you may want to get rid of us. You may be sick and tired of us. I don't know. But we are standing right here next to you. And we're going to listen as you speak. And we're going to heed it. We're going we're to understand it because we know that you have the very words of life. The very words of life. 
And so when Peter says this, when he says, hey, you have the very words of life, he's not saying like, hey, um, I mean, you're cool. You're cool and I, and I like you. And sometimes you have wisdom. What he's saying is, you have the very words of life and I don't want to miss a single syllable of it. And, I'm gonna, and when you speak, I'm going to take heed, and I'm going to say some very moronic things at times, but I'm going to take heed, I'm going to take correction, and I'm going to listen. And that's the same way that the father is asking his sons to approach his wisdom. With humility. With a posture that would re- take heed and listen to the wisdom that God gives that's the same way we have to approach the Lord. You see, like, we can have a healthy fear of the Lord, like we talked about last week. But unless we approach it with humility, we'll never, we'll never gain any insight or any wisdom. So eight years ago, or seven, almost eight, eight in June, I'll um, be the college pastor here at Central for eight years in June. And... I, I interviewed um, once and then came down here on a Sunday and then um, was voted in on a Wednesday. But after that Sunday, that Monday, we stayed over. And that Monday, we, I sat down in Chris's office and, and we just started talking about the college ministry. And we started talking about the, the current challenges that were there. We talked about what he wanted. And, and, and I remember, I can still remember it to this day, he, he looked at me and says, Hey, um, the, your first year is going to be really hard. And, and, and I didn't know what he meant at that point. I didn't ask any questions. He said, but what I want you to do is I want you to gather a core group of students, and then I want you to launch something uh, once the new building was built. We, so we hadn't had the FLC yet, and so we were kind of lost without a space. And, and so I didn't know exactly what that meant, but about six weeks later, I come here. My first day in the office, we go on staff retreat. And he says, hey, we're, we're going to one service and George, that means that you don't have a place to meet on Sunday mornings with your college students. He said, but what I want you to do is I want you to just take it. I just want you to build a core group around you, start casting some vision, and, and launch something new once we have the gym available. And so I was like, okay, and like that's my niche. Like I love doing that. I love taking and visioning stuff. I love casting vision. That's kind of, it's just what I love doing. And so I remember that first year. Really, the first couple of months, I was reading everything I could. I went to a couple conferences, and I was like, I just need to learn. Like, I need to figure out what everyone's doing. I, I kind of identified three or four college ministries that, that, that I want to know more about. And so um, I called them up and just started asking them a bunch of questions and just really trying to learn from them. But what, but what was crazy to me, what was so frustrating, is that I didn't have the... I didn't feel like the Lord had given uh, the vision, like, and kind of lit my soul on fire to start something, to, to start something. And so I was just kind of, I was just kind of lost. And the, the current student leaders um, weren't really a big fan of me. Uh, There's actually a blog that came out against the college ministry here. And, and so I was kind of frustrated. And I just kind of let God um, know my frustration. I was like, God, why would you put me here? Like, why, why am I right here right now if my hands are tied? And, and better yet, like, I don't see any hope for the future. 
I feel like everyone's against me. If I have one more conversation with somebody, a student on my couch asking just to know my heart again, I'm going to go crazy. And I remember the Lord in his nice, gentle, but very blunt way. Just, just telling me, hey, why haven't you asked me to do anything? Why haven't you asked me to move? Why haven't you asked me to bring vision? You see, you've called all these people, you've gone to all these conferences, and you've read all these books, and that's great, that's fine and dandy, but why haven't you asked me to move? And I was kind of taken aback. And I remember thinking in my heart, just like wondering, why would I do that? And it was because I wanted to be the hero. I wanted to swoop in and save the day. I wanted to take a challenge that was next to me, and, and I wanted to be the one to do it, to conquer it. Whatever the hill was in front of me, I wanted to, to get on top of it. And in that moment, that moment with the Lord, like my prayer changed. My, my prayer changed. And it was, God, I don't know what you want us to do, but here's what I do know. I do know that we need you. And God, I, God I, we can have good worship, we can have good teaching, we can do all of these things, and we can work really hard, but the, the truth at the end of the day is that, is that we need you to impact students. And, and that doesn't happen through good teaching or good worship. That happens when the Holy Spirit of God, God the Father, comes upon someone's life and radically transforms it. And so, God, I can't do that. And I need you to. Man, and after that, vision starts coming. Things start happening. People start wanting to be a part of the college ministry. And that's not because of me. I'm not smart enough. I mean, you heard about my grades earlier. <laughs> but it's the Holy Spirit of God. And some of you want to be your own heroes. And God's like, hey, I'm just waiting here to help when you want me to. Will you listen? Will you come humbly? me. I find this really intriguing that, that, that the timing of this because um, today is January 10th which means and we start we read, we read Proverbs chapter 10 together and Proverbs chapter 10 starts the beginning of the wisdom sayings. Isn't that funny? Like Proverbs chapter 10 starts the beginning of the wisdom sayings. And you could be real excited about going and some of those things, man, they won't mean anything to you, but some will just bring, bring really deep conviction. But the truth is, you can read all you want, but until you come humbly, ready to take heed, ready to listen, ready to hold fast to, then you, then you won't receive anything. Until you're ready to do that, then the Lord will speak. I heard someone say this, um, and, and, and I checked it out this week, and it was interesting. When the angel rolled back the tomb from Jesus' grave, and he sits on top of the stone, most of us in our, 
in our mind, envision kind of like an Easter pageant where, where it's a big, round, circular stone. The stone gets rolled away, and it's this opening that's big enough for people to walk through um, to come in into the tomb. And that, that's what we envision as the tomb. Well, th- there have been some archaeological digs that have now unearthed uh, some tombs um, in Jesus' day. And, and the majority of them are, are actually low to the ground. The majority of them are actually really, really low. And so th- there's this big stone, two, three, whatever, four, five thousand pounds. The angel moves aside, sits on it. And, and the symbolism here is striking because when Mary and Martha walk up, he says, come and see the Lord. But you know what they have to do to come and see? To come and hear? They have to get down on their knee. And they've got to crawl in. Isn't that striking? That if we want to receive wisdom from the Lord, then we have to come on our knees. If we want to come and see what the Lord has done, we've got to come on our knees. What is your posture like today? Are you standing up tall with your shoulders back? Are you coming to the Lord on your knees? Pray with me. God, we are thankful for you and thankful for your word and and God, it's just really interesting. Like, <laughs> um, I find it really interesting how you move. And God, I know it's really easy for, for us, especially in our culture, um, to, to think more highly of ourselves than we should. But God, I pray that, that you would humble us today. God, that, that you would give us a glimpse of, of who you are today. So that we wouldn't walk out of here like people that are proud. But we would walk out of here knowing that we have a good father who wants to show us things and wants, wants us to know things. And having confidence that, that you are for us. But knowing that we're not equal to you. And that we need your help. And so God, will you give that to us as a group, as a church this morning? Forgive us for, for puffing ourselves up. Forgive us for thinking we're better than we are. And so God, we need you to move in our hearts this morning. We need you. As you kind of process this and as you think about it, we're going to be up here as a staff um, just, just ready to receive you. If you would like us to pray for you, we'd kind of an honor to do that. And it's humbling, I know, to come down and ask for, for prayer, but we would love to pray for you. We would count it as, as a privilege. Or if, if, if there's a decision that you've made that, that you would like us to know about, whether it's you, you, you accepting Christ or you wanting to know more about him, or, or if you've decided, hey, like I, I want to join Central, then as the Lord speaks to your heart this morning, you come.